Alright, welcome to Building Our Power. This is Gabby and KT, and we're back with another episode. Make sure you uh, follow us on all social media accounts at Building Our PWR. KT has some updates. Hi, you guys. So basically, I'm coming on here because uh, Gabby and I would like to donate to our 901 Community Fridge. Uh, we basically would like to help keep that stocked uh, for the homeless or for people in the area who need food. Uh, so if you can, please go ahead and donate to our PayPal. That way we can purchase some food for these people. Uh, we'd also like to add some QR codes. So your money will also be going to uh, purchasing some QR codes, uh, stickers to put onto that food so that we can help educate the community as well with some communist propaganda, of course. Um our goal right now is $150. We've made about $15 because we've sold some t-shirts on TeePublic. Uh, you can definitely get the PayPal and the TeePublic link in our bio. And so, um, yeah, that, that's really all I wanted to add. Uh, today, we are going to be finishing up our part of the uh, Kambahi River Collective. If you weren't here last episode, I'm just going to give a brief description. Basically, the Kambahi River Collective was a black feminist, lesbian, socialist organization that was active in Boston from 1974 to 1980. Uh, the collective consisted of many people, but some of them uh, include Audre Lorde, Barbara Smith, Demita Frazier. Um, the collective's main argument was that both the white feminist movement and the civil rights movement were not addressing their particular needs as black women, specifically black lesbians. They're best known for developing a key document titled the Kambahi River Collective Statement, uh, which we're going to be reading, and it's actually going to be Gabby that's doing all the reading today. And for those of you that are following along, the link to the Kambahi River Collective Statement is actually in the bio. We're still on part two, and we are on, I believe, we're on the next to last paragraph. So, yeah, thank you. All right, thank you so much, Katie. All right, so we beg, uh, also... If you have TikTok, follow us on TikTok, Building Our PWR, because we get into it with a lot of white male leftists who was just upset about this commentary that I gave about um, the marks and not him not going far enough, him not being intersectional enough for me. And uh, they had a problem with it. They sick some black uh, men on us, and it was interesting. But it did help us get 3,000 plays and a lot of followers, and it got to spread the word around. So we're thankful for that. <laughs> um, so let's get right into it. So we're on the next paragraph after uh, talking about Marxist theory. And it says, A political contribution which we feel we have already made is the expansion of the feminist principle that the personal is political. In our consciousness-raising sessions, for example, we have in many ways gone beyond white women's revelations because we are dealing with the implications of race and class as well as sex. Even our black women's style of talking slash testifying in black language about what we have experienced has, as, has a resonance that is both cultural and political. We have spent a great deal of energy delving into the cultural and experiential nature of our oppression out of necessity because none of these matters has ever been looked at before. 
No one before us has ever examined the multi-layered texture of black women's lives. An example of this kind of revelation, conceptualization, occurred at a meeting as we discussed the ways in which our early intellectual interests had been attacked by our peers, particularly black males. We discovered that all of us, because we were, quote, smart, had also been considered ugly, i.e. smart ugly. Quote, smart ugly crystallized the way in which of us had been forced to develop our intellects at great cost to our social lives. The sanctions in the black and the white communities against black women thinkers is comparatively much higher than for white women, particularly ones from educated middle and upper classes. Uh, So pretty much what they're talking about is, you know, they've come to find it's, it's again talking about the intersectionality like this is more than theoretical like this is our lives our personal just being a black woman black femme presenting person in america is automatically a, a, a political statement you wear your hair naturally people gonna look there's gonna be policies against your hair you dress a certain way people gonna make uh uh Huge videos and Twitter threads about how you destroying the black community and stuff like that. And then pretty much talking about how in the black community, all this thinking and theorizing or whatever gets downplayed. Because it's, it's we're talking about misogyny now. I'm sure this is something that you as a white feminist can see as well. There's this stereotype of the ugly lesbian feminist. Right. That just because they're speaking up. It makes you unattractive. You having a voice makes you unattractive. So that's kind of going into the misogyny of just being a woman and speaking your mind. Can you can you uh, relate to that? Any? Mm, I mean, uh, in the feminist realm of things, I I think that um, being quote unquote smart or having your own brain outside of how to, uh, support or how to, um, care for men pretty much, uh, you're automatically going to be deemed not viable to them anyway. So even if I wasn't a lesbian, even if I wasn't queer and I was just a white woman, a straight white woman, if I was out here and not supporting men in every sense of the word, whether that be doing their laundry or whether that be, uh, you know, taking them back and forth to work, then they would see me as a, it's almost like a threat, if that makes sense. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. You know, they have that little, the stereotype of the cat lady. Yeah. Uh, she can't, or she can't keep no man because this, that, and the third. Like, that's, like, that is just the worst thing in the world, not having <laughs> a man. Okay, well, anyways, Okay. As we have stated, we reject the stance of lesbian separatism because it is not a viable political analysis or strategy for us. It leaves out far too much and far too many people, particularly black men, women, and children. We have a great deal of criticism and loathing for what men have socialized to be in this society, what they support, how they act, and how they oppress. But we do not have the misguided notion that their maleness, per se, their biological maleness, is what makes them what they are. As black women, we find any type of biological determinism a particularly dangerous and reactionary basis upon which to build a politic. We must also question whether lesbian separatism is an adequate and progressive political analysis and strategy. 
even for those who practice it, since it so completely denies any but the sexual sources of women's oppressions, negating the fact of class and race. So from what I learned about lesbian separatism, it was this big thing in second wave feminists uh, in which white women were like, "Um, I'm going to become a political lesbian or political abstinent. And pretty much saying, I may not even be a lesbian, but in order to uh, not give in to to misogyny or not support a man or not do anything good for a man, I'm going to uh, get in a relationship with a woman and we will live together and support each other and that will be the extent of our politics. And so, obviously, these girls are like, "Mm, after that, then what? (laughs) It's like, this, that's such a middle-class thing to do. We're just going to go over here with our cats, and this is going to be how we fight against uh, oppression. It's like, everybody else is like, okay, even if I do that, I'm living over here with my black girlfriend, and I'm still dealing with misogyny. I'm still dealing with racism. This has not improved my quality of life, besides me being in love, of course. But they're pretty much just saying, obviously, that is very naive. And very privileged to even have a stance of. Um, are you familiar with lesbian separatism? No, I never read about it until we actually read about it in this. But, I mean, if you're saying it's second wave feminism, then that makes sense. Uh, for me, I'm more so, like, I, I've read more about, like, the very beginning of, le- of, not lesbian, but the very beginning of feminism and then more so what we are doing now within feminism as opposed to all the middleness, if that makes yeah. sense. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I wasn't even aware that was a thing. It is. And we'll talk about it one neat day. And then they also talked about how this bi- uh, biological determinism is also tricky. Yeah. And, I mean, now, of course, it's getting even more tricky now because, you know, Finally, trans people are getting seen and noticed or whatever. And that's their kind of turf language. It's like, well, you were socialized as a man, so then you're going to act this way. You're going to act that way. But we know that just because you're born, like you come out the womb, you're not a certain way. You get socialized that way. So they're pretty much saying they're willing to put more work into their community to help educate people on misogyny than just throw them away because... Black people have more connection to our communities. Y'all white folks, like we said the other day, y'all uh, white women are one step from being white men. So it yes. makes sense that y'all would want to create y'all own systems, y'all own uh, communities where you can still perpetuate whiteness, but you ain't got to uh, listen to a white man. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's something that I feel like we really need to discuss, like... Uh, as far as, like, our podcast and stuff goes, like, this is kind of, like, a side topic, but we really do need to touch more on the type of community that white people don't have versus the community that black people do have. I think it plays into, um... It definitely plays into whiteness and the thought that we don't really need anyone to move forward, you know, mm-hmm. instead of us all coming together and saying, OK, well, as a community, we have the highest rate of violent crimes and stuff like that. Uh, we instead of each other within the community holding each other accountable, we just kind of pretend like, oh, it's a one one person thing. Anyway, that's that's a side note and we can have another conversation about it, but it's important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
But uh, yeah, obviously those are the differences, and you can see why as black feminists there will always be button heads with white feminists because white feminists just like, well, let's create our own thing and fuck everybody else, and it's like we can't we can't do that. Y'all do whatever it is y'all gonna do, but whatever. Okay, so part three: <laughs> problems in organizing black feminists. Okay. During our years together as a black feminist collective, we have experienced success and defeat, joy and pain, victory and failure. We have found that it is very difficult to organize around black feminist issues. Difficult even to announce in certain contexts that we are black feminists. Yep. We have tried to think about the reasons for our difficulties, particularly since white women's movements continue to be strong and to grow in many directions. In this section, we will discuss some of the general reasons for the organizing problems we face and also talk specifically about the stages in organizing our own collective. The main source of difficulty in our political work is that we are not trying to fight oppression on one front or even two, but instead address a whole range of oppressions. We do not have racial, sexual, heterosexual, or class privilege to rely upon. Nor do we have even the minimal access to resources and power that groups who possess any one of these types of privileges have. Exactly. White women, white feminists. Hillary Clinton, the white feminist. Oprah Winfrey is a, a feminist, the white brand of feminist. White people have money enough to support these causes, just like the white LGBT community which are full of CEOs, full of uh, big upper class, middle class people. Yes. That's a whole nother, they get money, they get political power, they get lobbying power. Then you get black feminists. You got poor black women. Who you, who you, go, where you gonna grab your resources from? So obviously it makes sense that especially back then in the 70s, they were having a hard time. Um, the psychological toll of being a black woman and the difficulties this presents in reaching political consciousness and doing political work can never be underestimated. There's a very low value placed upon black women's psyches in this society, which is both racist and sexist. As an early group member once said, we're all damaged people merely by virtue of being black women. We are dispossessed psychologically and on every other level. And yet we feel the necessity to struggle to change the condition of all black women. In a black woman, a black feminist search for sisterhood, Michelle Wallace arrives at this conclusion. We exist as women who are black, who are feminists, each stranded from the movement, working independently because there is not yet an environment in this society remotely congenial to our struggle because being on the bottom we would have to do what no one else has done we would have to fight the world wallace is pessimistic but realistic in her assessment of black feminist position particularly in her allusion to the nearly classic isolation most of us face we might use our position at the bottom, however, to make a clear leap into revolutionary action. If black women were free, it would mean that everyone else who would have to be freed since our freedom would necessitate the destruction of all systems of oppression. That's true. I mean, if black women were to truly be liberated from the things that oppress us, misogyny, racism, Homophobia, 
classism. If 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 that was if that was all if we were liberated from all of that, nobody else would have no doggone struggles. Uh, ableism. There wouldn't be nobody else. There wouldn't. That's all it would take. But people don't even want to listen to the black women, the ones who have the most experience with all these systems of oppression. The ones you ain't gotta ask. Okay, well, what's it like to be a man? Let me get a man. What's it like to be a woman? Let me get a woman. What's it like to be black? Let me get a black. You could get one person, a black trans disabled woman who get all these systems of oppression working against her and get more information and more insight than all these little people in these ivory towers whose jobs it is to theorize about all this stuff. But are they going to listen to them? No. I think, too, I want to add because I feel like we're kind of doing this in a broad a broad sense like black women period but a lot of these black women that were talking about this were lesbians okay mm-hmm. they're lesbians and they're masculine presenting when was the last time that anybody listened to a masculine presenting black woman or a masculine presenting person who has connection to womanhood whatever you want to call it however you want to say it like no one never you don't even see like you can go on to um these huge black feminist uh people like Mm. kimberly what's her last name foster Foster. kimberly foster and even her within her so-called feminist little group chats that she has with people have you guys ever seen a black masculine lesbian no no and so I think it's important that we're notating that like really, really heavily in this because they're the ones like black masculine uh, women, black masculine lesbians, abled, disabled, whatever. They they have the answers and they've been had the answers since the 70s, obviously, before that. So, yeah, anyway. that's something interesting, too. And and that's true, because we talk about this. Like, name one, Young M.A. Young M.A. That's all y'all can give us. A rapper. A rapper, not revolutionary, just a regular old little rapper capitalist person. And all these black lesbian women who have been on the foreground, like, I be following some of these, like, black lesbian archive pages and stuff like that. A lot of these women I've never heard of in my life. Literally. And we're doing work organizing and helping get stuff done. But no, again, you get put in that smart, ugly category. I cannot sexually fetishize you. So you're not going to be at the forefront. You're not going to be in the pictures. You're not going to be whatever. It's... It's a lot. Even then, like, I feel like a lot of times, too, like, when we're talking about revolutionaries, um, oftentimes we only talk about, like, Audre Lorde. Like, that's literally the only person that is ever really pushed as a lesbian who is masculine presenting. And I feel like that's because, like, she was lighter skinned. And there's also the fact that, like, she wasn't, like, this super-duper masculine, aggressive lesbian either. Mm. And so, um, yeah, there, that's, a, that's a problem in and of itself. But I do think that when we are listening and when we're reading the Kambahi River Collective, you guys remember who is saying this. It's, it's masculine-presenting lesbians who 
have the answers and who we need to support because you guys don't do it enough. Exactly. Not even on the left of space. I can't name one except myself. And I'm not binary, but I guess I'll be putting that little con- uh, that little thing right now. Because I ain't seeing nobody. Anyways, feminism is nevertheless very threatening to the majority of black people. Because it calls into question some of the most basic assumptions about our existence. I.e., that sex should be a determinant of power relationships. Here is the way that male and female roles were defined in a black nationalist pamphlet from the early 1970s. We understand that it is and has been traditional that the man is the head of the house. He is the leader of the house nation because his knowledge of the world is broader. His awareness is greater. His understanding is fuller and his application of this information is wiser. After all, it is only reasonable that the man be the head of the house because he is able to defend and protect the development of his home. Women cannot do the same things as men. They are made by nature to function differently. Equality of men and women is something that cannot happen even in the abstract world. Men are not equal to other men, i.e. ability, experience, and even understanding. Wow, okay. The value of men and women can be seen as in value of gold and silver. They are not equal, but both have great value. We must realize that men and women are a complement to each other because there is no house slash family without a man and his wife. Man and his wife. Both are essential to the development of any life. Girl! That sounds like something from straight from the Bible. For a black lesbian, where do I fit into this story? I ain't got no man. So, what? And then to say that all men are not equal. Wait, y'all got some hierarchical stuff going on from the jump. It's a no for me. Anyways, the material conditions of most black women would hardly lead them to upset both economic and sexual arrangements that seem to represent some stability in their lives. Many black women have a good understanding of both sexism and racism, but because of the everyday constrictions of their lives, cannot risk struggling against them both. Okay, let's get into this. Let's get into, you know, how a lot of times we always talk about uh, on Facebook and stuff, also like, y'all ain't built like our grandmama. Our grandmama stayed with that man 30, 40 years. Economically, they couldn't leave. Like, women had no rights. So, you're going to get kicked to the curb. You're going to be a single mom with all your kids. And what what do people have to to support you? Like, I can see, like, the black feminists coming over there being like, Yeah, this man treating you wrong. You need to stand up to this man. You need to get your own. You need to do this, do that. And the lady's like, okay, nice, but uh, are y'all going to help me with that? Like, I got to see if there was a lot of battered women's shelters about there back then. Probably not as much as now. And definitely not ones for black women. Right. So I'm sure that was an uphill battle because, like they said, that was the one thing that kind of gave them some stability, whether it's good or bad. And then to fight racism, of course, is already scary. You having to stand up to white people who have your jobs in their hands, dangle it over your head. You better not say nothing. So I can definitely see how for black women, it it was even harder. And even now, it can still be hard to reach them uh, when it comes to this radical politics. Um, 
The reaction of black men to feminism has been notoriously negative. They are, of course, even more threatened than black women by the possibility that black feminists might organize around our own needs. They realize that they might not only lose valuable and hardworking allies in their struggles, but that they may also be forced to change their habitually sexist ways of interacting with and oppressing black women. Accusations that black feminism divides the black struggle are powerful determinants deterrence to the growth of an autonomous black women's movement. Still hundreds of women have been active at different times during the three-year existence of our group, and every black woman who came came out of a strongly felt need for some level of possibility that did not previously exist in their lives. Okay, let's talk about that part, because I noticed on TikTok, thankfully, some of the younger kids are starting to see that yeah, a lot of these black revolutionaries that we prop up in our community were sexist as hell. Were rapists, were misogynists, were women beaters, were terrible homophobic people to women and gay people and all that stuff. And the good thing, going back to that, the good thing about now is with more education, more rights for women in general, women now feel more freely and readily to speak up about stuff like that. Not even in black nationalism, but just in life. Now you see more women saying, man is trash, man ain't shit, I ain't even knew this for a man. <laughs> I'm finna live my life, this, that, and the third. Right. And so, you still, though, you still hear some black Man, some black leaders, some black leftists, some hoteps, this, that, and the third, saying that feminism is dividing. But here's my thing. Black feminism is simply saying, you're not going to treat me any old kind of way. I'm going to be your equal. I'm not your mule, like we were talking about last time. I'm not your mule. You're going to treat me like respect. You're not going to uh, throw me around, hit me around, do this and third. I have thoughts. I have ideas. I will be heard. If that's dividing, how? How is me talking dividing? It sounds uh, vaguely almost similar to how uh, white men talk to black people in general. Like, that's that's pretty much what that sounds like. Yeah. yeah. You're so divisive. Divisive because your fragile ego, you can't stand up to criticism. Right. Your fifis got hurt. That's divisive. <laughs> you need to go to therapy. Let's do that. Let's do that. Maybe if we started going to therapy, maybe we can start getting some of this the balls rolling. Because right now, um, this feminism, this de- demonizing of feminism is way overplayed. Black women have a right to express their opinions. They have a say. They, they, they go through stuff black men couldn't even understand. Black trans women go through stuff black cis people couldn't even understand. So, we over that. This is 2021. We listen to everybody. Okay, so, um, they're saying even though, you know... This was a, a and is an uphill battle. They were still able to get people because, like I said, we know we know the struggles of being a black woman. We know the stuff our grandmama had to go through. We know the stuff our mama had to go through. We know the stuff that we going through dealing with these men. So, I feel like now, if the Combahee River Collective came out now, it would have been a full force. 
Because, like, these conversations are starting to become more mainstream for black women. Even black women that aren't even, like, in the radical side of stuff. They're just talking. But a lot of this radical politics has seeped into our mainstream. And now more women would be ripe for a black feminist, socialist, lesbian organization. So, we'll see. But yeah, so um, that is obviously, we, we got a little bit more to go. But that was part two of our Monday school service of the Combahee River Collective. Um, what do you guys think about um, what they said about, you know, organizing black feminists and also the difference between black feminism and white feminism and lesbian separatism? Have y'all heard of lesbian separatism? What do y'all think about that? Um yeah, so that's pretty much it. Unless, Katie, you have any thoughts? Nope, that is definitely it. All right, so uh, make sure you hit us up on our social media, guys, at Building Our PWR. We're putting the T Public link in the description. 100% of all proceeds go to that community fridge we told you guys about and the propagandizing of that fridge. So uh, uh, show us some love over there or just hit up the PayPal. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. Hit KT up at KT Does Art. Hit me up at Gabby's Music. And we're out.